we stop talking about magic? <laughs> much. Well, it's like the one game we're always still playing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Hey, welcome back to another exciting episode of Spellstorm Miniatures. Uh, my name is Jeremiah. I'm Dan. And this is Chad. And we are a show about miniature war games, including War Machine and Hordes by Privateer Press. Our goal here is to inspire you to play more. We have a very exciting episode for you today. Today, uh, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit. We're going to be talking about, we're basically asking and answering one question, and that is, what do you do to learn a new skill, and how do you stick with it? And I think the parameters are going to be strictly as it relates to hobby. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> there's all kinds of skills out there that someone can learn, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, before we get there, I just want to check in with you guys and ask if you've played any games lately. Oh, I've just been working through Mario's 3D world. I think that's it. Bowser's Fury. It's like an old game for the Switch, or it's an old game, Mario game, but like redone for the Switch. So okay. Sun got that, and then that's all we've been kind of playing, working through all the worlds. Nice. Nice. I do love Mario. It's like going home, you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, last weekend, uh, our fourth person, between myself and my two roommates, uh, came over and we got to play a couple more games of King's Dilemma. Um, yeah. So we are... We got to play two more games, and um, the next game is going to be session 12. Uh, and I was actually wrong when I talked about this before. There's a maximum of 15 little things in the back of the rule book for you to catalog the points and stuff like that. But from what one of my roommates said that he's seen from other average plays is that a lot of people actually go a little bit beyond that. It's like 15 is about the average, but some people have taken 16, 17, or 18 sessions in order to kind of get the last couple of cards that they need to wrap up storylines to actually like trigger the end of the game. Because the game's not over until you get a certain number of these larger mystery stickers that are in the very back. Uh, and I think you have to get... I think you need to complete... It's either five or six. Uh, every time you complete one of these story arcs, you get another one of these stickers that you unlock. Um, and it depends. The sticker you, you pull off and add to your sheet uh, depends on which story you did. Uh, okay. And you complete either five or six of these in order to actually finish the game. Once the fifth or the sixth one, I don't remember which, um, gets added, then the game's over, and then you go into, like, you figure out the final scoring of everything like that. And you actually, okay. um, you judge the scoring, I think, based off of everyone's scorings throughout the game. Not only that, but then also, um, as you play games, uh, you earn uh, two other resources uh, called Prestige and Greed, or um, is it greed? I think it is greed. It might be called something else. Oh wow, that's real bad. Um, crave, crave, prestige, or crave? Um, I think is what it is. I don't know if it's crave or not because I don't get it very often because that's not really what my house wants to do. But crave is kind of like you're you're jealous of the throne and you're craving more power. Um, and it, you generally 
get more crave by being, um, it can be depending on which, uh, hidden agendas you take can work you towards getting bonus crave. Um, or if you are like in last place frequently, if you're in the lower end of the scoring at the end of each session, you generally will end up with more crave because your house is craving more power. Um, and those two th- and the prestige is basically the opposite of that. It's like you gain prestige, um, you're a more noble house kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And um, that also determines how much prestige you have, also determines the order in which case you are all draft picking your hidden agendas at the beginning of the game. So the more prestige you have, the, um, the longer you have to wait before you get to pick your open agenda. So if you have less prestige, then you have you get more access to the the open or the the closed hidden agenda cards mm-hmm. that you draft. There's six different hidden agendas, and then you take cards out depending on how many players there are, um, and then you draft what's left. So with four of us, you take there's six cards. You take one out. So we okay. all pick from the five that are left. So there's always one that gets left out randomly, uh, and then we pick. Uh, and those are different guides for how you're going to earn points uh, based off of like where resources are in the resource tracker at the end of the uh, at the end of the game. So uh, yeah. we're getting to the the home stretch, the last handful of um, sessions that we have, and then once we get done with this, we're planning to um, someone else is going to get a copy of the game, and we're going to do another playthrough uh, and add either one or two more players. Um, to kind of change up the dynamic a little bit. And I think that will kind of help because my house started, I I started playing my house as kind of like a bleeding heart a little bit because they're about like the happiness of the common person. Uh, They're very welcoming to like other people who come and like visit their lands because they have like very rich soil, like the, um, the vineyards and stuff in the area are like very nice, but I've been playing against kind of some power-hungry, warmongering houses, and I'm a little bit less of a bleeding heart because I haven't been getting what I've been wanting to do kind of for the betterment of the common people. And so I've actually changed a little bit of the way that I've been playing the house. Um, It'll be interesting to see if we get um, some other people, if it will help kind of tip that dynamic because it felt it just... On so many of the games, I felt like I was just severely outvoted by like one or two other people at the table. And there were a lot of times where I was like really dug in on trying to vote for something a certain way um, that I got overruled on. And um, and we ended up kind of going down these kind of terrible rabbit holes of, <laughs> of things getting flipped on their head. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to do another playthrough, pick some different houses and add another person into the mix, uh, from the four. Cause it, it, some of the voting process definitely felt like it sometimes felt like it didn't matter, mm. um, with the way, with the people who were playing and with the, uh, the dynamics of the, of the four different houses. So, mm. so you said that it, you had to have five or six of these things accomplished um how many of you guys accomplished so far i think we've gotten through three of them i think we in this last oh in these last two sessions i think we finished three of the storylines and we've played 
10, 11 games. We've played 11 games at this point. So the way that it works is as you vote on these dilemmas, the different legacy things that get added to either the board or what is called the dilemma deck, which are the different cards that have the different story elements to it. Um, as you vote on things, you will add stickers to the board that have to do with certain resources in positive or negative ways that affect the beginning setup. Uh, but then also you will sometimes open um, an envelope and you will add a new, basically, it's a new jump off point for a storyline pretty much. Uh, yeah. And that will usually have kind of a uh, launch card that talks a little bit about what it is that's happening. Uh, and then two or three other story cards that get shuffled into the dilemma deck uh, for you to pull from later and then progress the story from there. And then one of those, and then, you know, those cards will also sometimes lead to more envelopes getting opened as the, as the story progresses and develops. Yeah. Um, and then eventually it will have a, an ending one where it like, this is the last piece of the storyline. Um, this is what finishes it and then gets you that end game, larger sticker that you add into the rule book. Nice. Yeah. We've, we've done pandemic legacy and uh, before the actual pandemic hit, uh, we were two thirds of the way through season two. And mm -hmm. so, um, and I really like, how some of those legacy games come about, you know, just yeah. there's, there's a lot of mystery and you don't know what's inside the box until you open yeah. it, you know, and, and um, it, it makes it, it makes uh, for some compelling gaming sessions. So, yeah. 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 And I wonder if there was a little like beginning opening paragraph that we forgot to read that was mm. going to give us like a little bit of general background about the kingdom um, because we've learned a lot of different stuff about, um, the foundation of the kingdom and the origin of the uh, of the kingdom wide unified religion uh, yeah. that everyone believes in, and it's uh, it's not not necessarily uh, what you thought it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a dark history <laughs> a little bit. So it's been it's been really cool and really interesting, and um, yeah. And then yesterday we got to play another game of uh, Arkham Horror, uh, the board game, second edition. And we played the, like, the biggest uh, one. And uh, we started playing it, and about 45 minutes into it, we got to a board state that was very, very rapidly going to be turning very, very badly against us. So we decided to just restart it and start over, because, like, the big bad guy started in basically the furthest place away from us plus a bunch of horror spawned in that area. And so like the, the negative things in the storyline, were just going to start piling up really rapidly and yeah. just start projecting us down this, you know, this very, like, basically it was like, we kind of got screwed from the beginning through a series of uh, unfortunate randomness. Um, and then we, wasn't well, that started. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we, um, we decided to clear the board, start again. A couple of us, I think, changed characters. Um, and this time we were doing pretty good for a little while. And then it, you know, as, as it always goes, uh, a couple of rounds of some bad rolls in combat and it very quickly started spiraling into a, into a downward spiral of, uh, yeah. we all died. We all froze to death. <laughs> Ooh, scary and harsh. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I uh, I was able to get a new game in. I love playing in new games. And so we had picked up the starter for Pacific Rim Extinction. Uh, have you guys heard about this one? Um, I have heard about it, but I haven't yeah. looked into it that much. So I just briefly heard about it, and I know very little about it, actually. It might have been a Kickstarter. It might not have been. I, think I don't it know. Was. It was. I think it was a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. I think it was um, around the time that the second movie was coming out, I think. Okay. Well, Pacific Room. Yeah. in the starter, you get a Kaiju and you get a Jaeger. And then they have since released um, a boosters or expansion packs is probably the best way to describe it. And and I think each expansion comes with either a Jaeger or a Kaiju, depending what you buy. And so um, I think all told so far, there are only a total of three Kaiju made and three Jaeger made. So uh, two subsequent um, expansions for each side and and in the starter you get um, everything you need to play you get tokens and cards and everything and then you get a double-sided map and and you get um, a mix of 2d terrain and 3d terrain so uh, the buildings were cardboard and so we took a little bit of time to punch them out and then construct them they're really easy to construct really easy to punch out and um, yeah, it's it was really nice. And it actually encourages you to place a 2D hex where the building is gonna go um, you, on, the, on the playing mat, and then you put the building on top of the mat, probably because the building's gonna get destroyed at some point and then you can yeah. step over it or onto it or something. But uh, one of the things I really, really liked about it is uh, they have like scenario cards or objective cards to describe because it's supposed to be more scenario driven than it is just a beat em up, mash em up kind of game. Yeah. In one of the scenario, they have like, I don't know, five or six of them, I think. You can just randomly draw and it gives you the full setup. It gives you where to put the terrain. It gives you where to put, where to deploy the, the Jaeger and the Kaiju. And it even tells you the upgrades. So a Kaiju um, on the player card, there, there are stats you have to keep track of. And then there are, um, and then there are two meters. One of them I think is like a, for the Kaiju, it's a rage meter. And then like some kind of energy meter. And, and it like, and so you're limited on how many times you can use that resource, mm -hmm. and then um, and then there's two slots. You get a you get an offensive mutation and a defensive mutation, okay. and then uh, and then for the Jaeger card, there are two slots for your uh, for your pilots, mm -hmm. and and how your pilots match up will tell you about your skills too. And so okay. that's pretty cool. And then, and then the, and then the Jaeger gets one um, enhancement. And so on these pre-made cards, it tells you exactly which mutations to give the Kaiju, which pilots and which enhancement to get the Jaeger for quote unquote, like an even game. Yeah. And, and the way that it works, it's very, and I love this because it, because it, it, it really reminds me of the movies 
it's very, very kaiju centric. So the kaiju player in ties gets to choose like all the time. And even when you set up, like if you were to, to do an open play match, the kaiju determines, the kaiju player determines the size of the battle. And so like, for example, um, I, I, I might get this wrong. Um, the kaiju was worth, let's say four points. And so it was gonna be a four point kaiju battle that equals either eight or 12. I can't remember if it's double or triple. Um, uh, I think it's double uh, now that I think about it. Um, the double amount of Jaeger. So the Jaeger player can bring eight points and the Kaiju player brings four points and that's an even battle. Um, so like my Jaeger was like five points and then one pilot was two points and one pilot was one point because you have to pay for each pilot differently. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. You get a bunch of pilot cards to choose from. And then I, we haven't opened in uh, the expansions. We I don't know. I don't know what's in them. And so, but the starter um, right away, it's it's easily playable. The models, they're gorgeous. They're like hmm. 80 millimeter models. They're huge. And they're, they're pre-painted. Pre they're pre-painted, you said. They're right? pre-painted. And but they they're pre-painted nicely. Hmm. Like it actually looks good and it looks fun. And you can play right out of the box. So that's it's a cheap game. And if you like kaiju, if you like big giant robots beating up big giant monsters, um, yeah, I recommend it. We're going to play some more. Um, so, yeah. I was just looking it up. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter. And uh, yeah, they have Wave 2 is just shipping now, I guess. So they have like four more of each coming out. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. crack the game wide open. But yeah, it's saying, yeah, the kaiju are 111 millimeter base and the. And the Jaegers are 85 mil. Yeah. So there's some good boys. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that there's many more because Oz was disappointed in the Jaeger selection or the Kaiju selections because I mm. think his favorite Kaiju wasn't made. Um, uh. And then for the Jaegers, you have Gypsy Avenger and, and, and you have a Gypsy Danger. So okay. um, I'm pretty happy with my selections. I'm going to play the Jaeger side mostly, probably. And then Oz is mostly probably going to play the kaiju side. So, <laughs> well, it works yeah. out then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's nice putting miniatures on the table, even if it's sort of more compact and and not like a traditional war game like like we like to play. But yeah. that sounds like easy just to deploy and go. <laughs> yeah, well, especially with those cards, it tells you how to do it. You know, there's no thinking. You just set it up like it is, and then you can play right away. So, and it uses a fun um, dice mechanic, kind of reminds me of Riot Quest or a uh, Monpok dice kind of thing. Yeah. There's, uh, there, there's a proprietary D6, and then there's like another one uh, that, that kind of determines other outcomes. And so um, you're just throwing pools of dice, it's fun. So yeah, you look for more pictures of that on the Discord probably. <laughs> There'll be more. <laughs> yeah. Hey, why don't we uh, kind of shift gears and get to our main topic? Um, we want to talk about how do you learn a new skill and how do you stick with it? And so I think between the three of us, we've put our heads together and then came up with a, a few talking points. And who wants to get us started in that? Sure. Um, I mean, 
pretty much in today's age, if I want to learn a new skill, I check out YouTube, <laughs> do an internet search, and uh, 20 YouTube videos come up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, um, or lately, like some of it is uh, on our Discord or any Discord, really, um, of just, you know, if it's hobby related, chances are we know someone who's kind of done it. Um, obviously, it's a little yeah. harder to get together and practice that skill together at the moment. Um, yeah. But, you know, kinda, yeah. yeah, I don't want to, sorry to interrupt, um, but like, that's a, that's a really key point before the pandemic, you know, we, we war machine players got together a running board every week and inevitably there was a handful of guys in the back who were hobbying instead of playing and just sitting around the table, you're going to pick up something from someone else. Right. Yeah. You know, and we kind of don't have that right now. And, and so that's a, that's a keen observation, Dan. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, uh, I kind of went back kind of maybe philosophical, I think, um, because yeah, uh, I think YouTube is a fantastic tool, but if you don't even know what to search for, you know, um, I don't know, it, it could be hard, but, but I think like when it comes to like hobbying and, and learning how to paint and, and things like that, um, um, I think I'm at the point now where I want to identify, like I want to identify a new skill. I want to like learn something new, and 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 like the mental thing is, okay, what is it that I want to learn, and then why do I want to learn it? You know, like kind of going through that process of, is there a specific skill that I want to work on? Why do I want to work on it? And then ultimately, how will it help me with my overall hobby? Like, let's say I learn how to do this certain thing that exists out there, and we can come up with some examples in a second. But if I don't, let's say I work on one model with it, but if I don't use it over and over again, you know, was that worth the effort kind of putting out there? But there's all kinds of things to learn. A lot of folks in, in our Discord server are doing what? Non-metallic non metal stuff. Yeah. Um, I've seen it's a lot a really of people popular do. one right now. Yeah. Two brush blending was super like, I kept hearing about that yeah. when I first started painting and I was like, what is that? You know? And I still don't think I've mastered that. Um, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. dry brushing was, I consider dry brushing a skill Yeah, and I've messed that up a few times and <laughs> <laughs> I've also got it right a few times. So there we go. Um, but but like I think I think starting with the why and the what, what is it that you want to learn, and then and then why, and then if you know how to answer that in a satisfactory way, I think it's going to stick longer. But that's sort of like, to me, that's like the very beginning of the journey. Yeah. Usually the why is I see someone else have something cool, and I'm like, oh, how how they do that? <laughs> yeah, the why is really easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there's some very talented people around us that are doing some really fun things. And it's like, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I, um, I, in general, am not as much of a person that will very often go out of my way to learn new stuff. Um, yeah. I, I haven't really hit that. Uh, I don't think I've really hit that personally, like as a, as a painter or a hobbyist, really of um getting tired of what it is that i am doing or feeling um experimental about trying something different there have been a couple of instances 
um, where I've done it while I was kind of working on something where it's like, I, I want to do a certain thing. Like I want to do a fade um, on a, on a certain piece. I did this a couple of years ago with the lady of anguish model that I was painting uh, lady of anguish by creature caster. And I wanted the, the colors on the legs to look like it was fading from one color to another. And it, wasn't a skill that I had intentionally started out with the idea of pursuing. Um, it was just kind of something that came to me while I was working on the piece. Um, Cause that happens a lot where like, I will kind of uh, discover some of the color scheme as I'm working on the piece of like, I know some general things that I want to hit, but like for some of the details and things like that, um, I'll just kind of work on it as it, as it go along. And um yeah. And, uh, you know, I just don't, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of that if it's not broke, don't fix it mentality a little bit of like the, yeah. what I'm doing already for a lot of the color schemes and a lot of the paint jobs and stuff that I've, uh, that I've done in the past works for me. And I haven't, I haven't felt, um, I guess confident enough in my abilities to try and venture into something really difficult. Uh, and also because I, I still try and do it sometimes just as, as a relaxing pastime, I don't always want to try something that's going to feel like work. Um, yeah. if I'm sitting down and doing it, but that's just me as a, you know, that's just me as a, uh, as a hobbyist. There have definitely been times where I've tried different things. Um, and I'll talk about those a little bit later. Yeah. Um, well, I want to step but, in right here just, yeah. and, and I want to make a comment or make an observation and then kind of add to what you just said, like you've been painting a lot longer than me. And, and so like, and so there's just certain things that you just pick up along the way to the practice and stuff. But the fact that you just said that you're open to experimenting sometimes is, um, I think that's a fantastic learning opportunity. Like I remember um, um, my first few models that I painted took me a long time to paint because I was, I was very meticulous about, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize where the spaces where you can make mistakes and it still come out okay on the end because I hadn't yeah. I hadn't seen enough finished product but there yeah. was one time but there's one time and I love this I took <laughs> who was it Kel Baylock he was primed completely in white and and I had been painting with pretty uh thick pigmented you know like the the GW base colors yeah. um you know and and then I had picked up a few washes and inks or whatever. From, um, and I was like, what would happen if I just painted him with a wash? And then what if I kept layering wash over wash over wash? Yeah. And so I painted Kel Baylock. And the only two items that I painted was, uh, well, three, I guess, the handkerchief around his neck, mm -hmm. the, the, the gun stock, and then, mm -hmm. and then the barrel of his weapon. And those were actual paint with thick pigment and stuff. And the rest of the bit was all like layers of inks. Yeah. And it's still one of my most favorite models I've ever painted. Yeah. I thought it turned out wonderful. And that was all because I yeah. just had the question and that I wanted to pursue. And, um, and so being open to experimentation, I think is helpful too. I don't know. So like, like you said, yeah. so. 
Yeah. Well, and, and I, uh, we were brainstorming on this last week a little bit when we were kind of having a, a short meeting. And at first I didn't think of any techniques where I had really done any sort of experiment or tried anything new. And as we kept talking about it, I thought about very clear, uh, I think it was three very clear instances where I did try something mostly just off of one of them was I had heard about a technique. I wanted to try it and replicate it. And I had a happy accident and it turned out awesome. Um, mm -hmm. And then the other two were kind of just me playing around with trying to do something different. And some of it is kind of, honestly, it's trying to find a lazy way to do something that looks really cool yeah. <laughs> was kind of what I was trying to do. Um, I guess the, so the one that I stole from somebody else or from somewhere else, I don't remember where I heard about this, but I heard about, um, the splotching technique, which is where you have kind of a wider bristle brush that you get some paint on the end of it and you basically stab the model, um, you know, with the ends of the bristles to kind of splotch the paint on in certain areas. And mm. it's a way to get, um, you do this sometimes with different colors. What I did was I used two different colors actually with this technique. Uh, and it's to get a uh, different texture, um, you know, for like skin, uh, like, you know, membrane on a, on a wing or, you know, soft skin for like a monster or something like that. Uh, and what I did, what I did this on was I was, when I was painting Gorgadra from, um, from monster apocalypse is I decided I wanted to try and play with this technique. Cause I didn't, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do for the color scheme. I had some ideas, but I wasn't sure exactly like the armor is super easy to do, but I was like, there's all of this, you know, kind of fleshy skin that's exposed. I don't know what I want to do with it. So I, I believe I know one of the colors I, I used and I, I bought these colors too, to kind of play around with this one was sulfuric yellow by privateer press, which is kind of like a, a little bit of an off yellow, not quite as bright as their normal Cygnus. It's a little bit more, uh, a little more tan, I think. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, and then the other one was uh, Rin Flesh. So I took two kind of very opposing colors and I splotched. I, um, I think I did a really heavy Rin Flesh um, over pretty much the entire model, except for the, the armor plates. Uh, and then I took the sulfuric yellow and splotched over top of that. And it created this kind of weird, different colored alien textured skin. Uh, and then the other, the happy accident that also came from this was I had grabbed Privateer Press's red ink uh, and I was trying it out. And I thought that the ink was gonna work kind of like a wash and I'd never really used inks before. Uh, and so I started applying it onto the model and it was covering with a lot more red than I thought it was. And at first I panicked because uh, I was like, oh, crap, this isn't what I wanted. I thought it was going to like kind of just give it a little bit of a red tint like a wash does. Uh, but it didn't. It put a, a much heavier pigmented red tone over it. But it was thin enough still that some of the splotchiness underneath of it was still kind of coming through the red. So you could still see a little bit of that splotchy technique that I'd done that gave it this weird texture. Um, and it turned out really cool. Uh, I'm really happy with the model. I've, um, I've showed it a couple of times actually in example um, to people who ask about Privateer Press's inks uh, and like what to kind of expect from them. I tell them this story because I was, I was like, this is a very happy accident. And I've yeah. got a model where I have like a very clear 
application and non-application of the ink and here are the very stark differences between the the two different layers um but it turned out really good what about you dan have you had any happy accidents i mean i suppose so uh, nothing to some of it kind of comes to mind just try to pick up some speed paint um my always issue is is I always fear the experimentation sometimes because one, I don't want to have to go back and through and redo a paint job because I barely have enough time to do the initial paint job, <laughs> let alone yeah. want to buy another bottle in case I just really mess it up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but played around with, with some. Um, mainly it's just sometimes I've just gone in a hurry on um, some models and just painted a lot thicker than I should have. But again, it, it worked out well enough that the it was in small enough areas that it wasn't wasn't as noticeable right um kind of thinking like some of my uh some of my bayou gremlins um from malifaux right is, is hitting them with that green scaly skin first and just just hammered on there because i'm just like i'm in a hurry i'm just gonna shove it all on there get it on one coat call it good um but i mean nothing nothing in particular necessarily sticks out as like a it's like, oh, I did this by by mistake, and it worked out really awesome. Um, just more, <laughs> I'm in a hurry. Um, I don't, I don't care as much. But hey, it, it turned out fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of the uh, things, yeah. uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, uh, and and it and it might be a good opportunity to to share it now, is uh, is the happy accidents and the times when when we kind of break out of like normal hobby mode and kind of into the experimental side of things. Um, one of the things that I think um, helps people learn a new skill and then potentially maybe stick with it, a lot of folks have a hobby journal. And so, mm. you know, they'll record all kinds of things in there. They'll, you know, they'll describe the model that they're painting, maybe, maybe the paint recipe. If they tried a new strategy, you know, um, like intentionally, or if they did something on accident and they, and they, you know, and then it's something that they can review and go back to. And if you can go back to it, then that means it becomes repeatable, you know, and, you know, and, and, and even, even if you don't exactly remember how you did it, if you take, you know, decent notes in your journal, you can, you know, it'll, it can jog your memory. And, and, and I know a lot of folks um, have that. Do either one of you guys keep a hobby journal? A little bit, um, not maybe as far as you're thinking, but I have, uh, especially when I first started painting all like the War Machine hordes um, mm -hmm. on some of my other models, is I'll record like, yeah, what's my, what did I prime in? What's my base coat? What I used for the leather? What I used, you know, where, where I use things, you know? Um, yeah. So that way if I, when I get more later on to add to the army, I can go back to that recipe and go, here's what I did. I can repeat it mm -hmm. um, pretty standardly. Uh, I've gotten a little bit lazier because I've recorded a few of my last paintings, um, model paintings, right? And so I'm like, oh, I can just go back and rewatch the video and it'll tell me what I did. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I've gotten a little lazy in writing down sometimes, but. Well, it's a know. journal, it's a video journal. There you go. Yeah. Plus more credit. How about you, Chad? Do you, do you keep a journal? No, um, not consistently. I have um, jotted down, like I have my um, the color scheme for my circle army in a notes list just down at the bottom from where I have mm -hmm. um, the, the collection. I've got some different notes on my phone 
that are the various army collections, uh, what models I have, uh, if they're painted or not, quantities and stuff like that. And yeah. then at the bottom of the circle one, I've also got all of the different colors and stuff because I actually um, I nailed down the color scheme that I wanted to do for them actually a number of years ago when I did a lot of painting while I was unemployed. Because I've been painting off and on for a number of years during the time of playing War Machine, but like I didn't start getting a lot done until uh, like around 2015 when I was unemployed for a couple of months and I got tired of playing video games all the time and wanted to do something productive. So I finally yeah. hammered down the color scheme that I wanted, wrote it down. Uh, and then I have continued using that through as over the years, as I've uh, painted more finished painted that army. Um, most of the time I don't, cause usually I can look at a miniature and, and see what it is, excuse me, that I used color wise. Uh, in case I need to replicate it. Yeah. But I also haven't, most of the projects that I've done are smaller. Um, like single, like one-offs? Yeah, like smaller batches of models, uh, you know, with the exception of, like, my Death Guard. The Death Guard is a pretty simple color scheme, um, so I don't really need to write it down because I can just look at a couple of miniatures to see the different colors yeah. that I have used. And same thing yeah. with the um, the Space Marines that I've done is um, I haven't done a lot of complex technique stuff, so I don't need to keep track of like layers and palm layers. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I have a sort of a project journal that kind of just that I'll, I'll, I'll like make a list of things that I'm kind of working on or need to be finished or whatever, but I don't really have like a hobby journal, and and I can easily transform my project journal into a hobby journal and and as I was preparing for this topic today I was thinking um, how much more productive I would be if if I actually did that um, and uh, it's nice to know like it's nice to be organized it's nice to know where things are and it's nice to know where you are in the steps of a project you know so yeah. I've got a few things that I've been kind of looking at um, in terms of still kind of you know, developing a new skill, learning a new skill. Um, and that could be um, rather than looking at something on like the whole and, and you know, like when you look at a whole army project or when you're looking at, you know, a whole model and you want to try a new technique on it or something, you know, you could, you could just focus on the part, you know, focus on maybe a single part of the piece or even just have a whole set of other models that you don't care about. And just for funsies, you're gonna pull it out and say, today I'm gonna to practice this stippling, or splotching? splotching, splotching, yeah. splotching technique. <laughs> and I'm gonna play with, you know, different inks or whatever and see what comes. And if it, you know, if it doesn't work out, so no worries, that model's never gonna see the table anyway. It was, it was it was specifically set aside for you as as practice, um, and and I've been kind of going through my models, and I have a host of of duplicates of some things that will probably never see the table, and um, I'm gonna put them in in just like a like a hobby bin, and just be like these. This is a place where I'm gonna practice something, and I wish I would have had that already when I started painting those two BattleTech models because those did not turn out the way that I thought they were gonna turn out. 
and I'm yeah. super sad about it. And so, but hey, <laughs> you know, it's fine. They were just, they were, they were just live and learn. Yeah, live and learn. Yeah. So, well, um, yeah. And sometimes it's also a question of like, do you want to go through, if something didn't turn out the way you like, do you want to go through the hassle of stripping it and trying it again? Are you going to be yeah. motivated enough for it? Or are you just going to kind of move on and try something different? Uh, for this project, for the Battletech, I'm going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> I have <laughs> friends with Battletech models <clears throat> yeah, that we'll probably play yeah. with. So right. it's fine. Uh, and yeah. part of me knew that I was going to use those as extras, but like I really should have just used my extras first. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. But um, something else that I was thinking about in terms of developing a new skill and sometimes you have to change your tools. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, one of the biggest changes I've made in the last few months is is actually uh leveling up on my on my brush size i'm now painting with a size three and i can't tell you how much more confident i feel in my painting and just it just feels better in my hand feels better with the paint going on i just have more confidence so it's just like you know and um and i know that you know for some folks who are like super into the hobby they're like, you know, Windsor Series 7 and, you know, like whatever's and they're good enough. They can tell the difference. I'm not that good yet, but um, but I knew a size jump was was important. So and I actually recently picked up um, three different kinds of brushes specifically for trying out um, uh, dry brushing. And so um, if you look at the bristle types on all three of these. Uh, they're different, and and they're different from what I have previously been using, and so my goal is to take one of these sample models that I have over here off to the side, and practice dry brushing on them with my new brushes to figure out which which kind of dry brush brush I like. So, yeah. So some tools. What kind of tools have you guys found that you like, or maybe you discover along the way in the, in the process of of your hobby? I mean, brushes are, are a big one when you come to come to painting, right? Yeah. Uh, I agree. I got some uh, Kalinsky Sables eventually. Uh, part of a Kickstarter, I added them on. I was like, all right, I'll eventually get them. Um, in the meantime, I'll use what I got. But one of the one of the other things is even before that, just an assembly. Um, I mean, maybe assembly is not as much of a skill, you think, but it can be a, a pain, right? <laughs> Especially on some of these fidgety models. Uh, Infinity becoming popular amongst uh, some of our group. Um, has very small, very fidgety pieces to put together. Um, one tool I picked up was one of those uh, helper hands, you know, with the little uh, more for soldering like boards, um, <clears throat> computer soldering and stuff like that. But they have the little pincher, like clothesline pinchers. And uh, the one I have has like a magnifying glass. I don't need it that that much. And it has a, like a light, ooh, but it has those fingers. And so being able to hold those and then position them into place, pop your glue on and then kind of move them back into there and just walk away saves you from holding for just a minute or two of holding those pieces together, hoping you don't sneeze. Right. Um, <laughs> or but, get your finger stuck to it. Uh, yeah. That's happened more than once. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it, just those type of things, right. It's just, is that, um, yeah. and tools for like the skill I was kind of, 
I've been trying to work on and, and learn and honestly haven't done that much lately is uh, airbrushing was a uh, airbrushing tool can matter a lot, right? Like what, yeah. what you're using, what your settings granted go cheaper, easier on uh, just starting out <laughs> like myself. Right. And I don't need super, super good. I just need enough to like set practice and, and get a little bit better on, um, for the yeah. most part, just Zenithal priming. But at, even at that, right, I'll I'll sit and I'll try to, okay, can I get just a smooth spray across or, you know, do I hammer it on there? And and sometimes it, you know, you press it and hammer way too much paint on there. But I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to be painting over it anyway and, and stuff. So one of those ways I kind of find to work some of that practice in is just doing those rough, rough coats on that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a uh, it covers an array of tools for you. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes having the right tool for the job helps with the, learning the skill. Yeah, uh, side snips over uh, over side cutters uh, or or flat flat cutters, getting off the sprue <laughs> as a tool. Again, maybe not so much of a skill, but that is a tool that you should definitely be using uh, as uh, <laughs> flat cuts versus a side cutter. You'll thank yourself yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I want to circle back to something you said in the beginning, Dan, uh, uh, talking about uh, YouTube being a, being a great place um, to learn a new skill. You know, there's there's a lot of folks who are putting out some really great content and stuff like that. But, but uh, some of those folks actually offer classes. I know a few folks in our Discord server have been doing some of the online classes this last year uh, during the pandemic. And, and just going through and and everyone's focusing on the same model everyone that you know you're being walked through a certain technique and being shown how to do that um before the pandemic i think coleman was doing saturday you know gigs and at the at pdx um uh, portland game store PG, yeah pgs pgs that's what i yeah i knew there was an acronym in there somewhere and you know but like even if you can't get a coach these YouTube videos can serve as an interim, but then a lot of the companies put paint guides in print. Like if you get the forces of books from Privateer Press, in the back of those books, they give you how to, you know, how to paint your army. And uh, even if you, when you bought the, the, the Mark III starter boxes, you know, the little, little pamphlet they give you, there was a paint guide in the back of that. Um, I recently picked up a a, uh, a kit or a, you know like a uh, yeah like a kit I guess from Vallejo and it comes with an infinity model mm -hmm. and it comes with the paints for that model with a printed step-by-step -step guide on how to paint that model mm -hmm. and you know and so um, that's a great way to learn to learn a skill and um, you know, is is just trying to copy what someone else is doing, and and honestly, that's how a lot of us learned. You know, things growing up. You know, the teachers like do this, you do this, do this, you do this. All of a sudden, boom! At the end, you have something, right? And uh, you know, some Bob Rossi action. But um, no, I, I wanted to say that, and then like continuing to watch them. I think helps you stay invested in the hobby and then continue and then helps you to 
um, to grow in your skill set. So like, you know, this is not hobbying, but you know, I learned how to smoke some smoke meat and barbecue and stuff, watching hundreds of hours of YouTube. And, and even just over the weekend, I was watching something on how to, how to smoke a new cut of meat that I had never smoked before and, and learning why you have to do a certain thing. Um, you know, even with all the experience, you know, you have doing something, you can still learn something. So, yeah. Yeah. I have two golden nuggets left on this hobby topic. <laughs> Should I just keep going? <laughs> well, I well, was, was going to yeah, go ahead. No. Uh, I was just going to say, like, with videos, um, yeah, like I said, just watching them again. I don't want to necessarily experiment on my own to learn some stuff, although um, I was talking with uh, with Judy in the Discord, just a couple comments back and forth about uh, using some different nail polishes on models. Um, that I'm going to experiment on because I haven't seen anyone else necessarily doing that, so that'll be interesting to see uh, how that turns out. But I'll probably test it on something else first besides a non or, you know, a non-model and then yeah. maybe we'll on to model. But it's just, like you like, said, it's learning the skill of maybe why we do it as opposed to just like, oh, it's this is this advanced technique. Sometimes the basics of of what needs to happen, you know, um, is a big way too. And just understanding that level uh, is a great way to to move on and be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. I don't, this step kind of adds to this step later on. Yeah. It's a big thing. But Chad, you're going to say? I was going to say, I was going to touch back on the, um, the other times that I was playing around with something with a model, um, was the, uh, what I refer to as dry brush blending where, uh, the technique that I use for dry brushing, like metallics and things like that, of over top of a black primer, um, and what the blending I did was, is I had for like the Lady of Anguish model that I did, um, I had the legs that I wanted to kind of uh, fade from one color to another. So I started with those two colors and the extremes of the point that I was working on, and I dry brushed really heavily at where they started and um, kept going towards the other end with each one getting lighter and lighter with like how firmly it was, how often I was doing it. And then I did the reverse with the opposite color. So then it ended up looking like, um, they blended kind of naturally shifted from one color to another. Uh, and in a similar way, when I was working on the scar bust that I did, um, I had kind of the same idea, but with, um, layering colors for hair because doing texture for hair i didn't want to hand do all the different highlights and things like that so what i did is it was primed black i took the base color that i was i was using which was cotor red base um did a really heavy dry brush on it not as much so that it, it looked almost fully red but some of the black was still showing through a little bit and then i took bootstrap leather which is a, a reddish brown and did a lighter dry brush over top of the red so that some of the red and the black still shone through, but there was still a nice coat of, of brown on it. And then the last thing I did was a very light dry brush of mediocre orange for those highlight, those really high ends. And I did a much lighter dry brush over that. And the end product was, it was very 
a very kind of rich depth of basically four different colors of layering um, just through dry brushing. And it was something that I was like, well, let's see if this works. And if it doesn't, then I'll just strip it. If it does, then cool. And then I'll, I'll have this in my back pocket. And I've used that other times for hair when I was trying to do hair in multiple colors without spending the time to go through and, and paint everything by hand. I did the same thing with my Sergeant Titanicas. I used Cotter Red Base and then I actually used Sulfuric Yellow over top of it to make it kind of this yellowish or this reddish blonde. Um, and it had, it was a very effective and easy way of getting some nice layering in there. Yeah. No, that's a good call. That's good. It's good. So uh, nugget number one is um, uh, actually uh, painting the same model or two versions of the same model uh, twice. So actually someone in our Discord, a man in our Discord is doing that right now. She has a, a Lady Olander from Age of Sigmar that she had painted a while ago. And and then now she has a second copy of the some of the model and and painting it uh, anew again, and she wants to compare, you know, where you know how much gains does she have? Has she, you know, gotten the process of her hobby and things like that? Um, I think it would be. Uh, I think that kind of stuff is is a lot of fun because when we're in the middle of a project, um, you know, sometimes they're big and. And, you know, and then, and, you know, they get tiring by the end, you're like, you just want to finish. And then, and then you never want to paint another Skaven model in your life. Yeah. But the, but the reality is, is you should, you probably should so that you can compare and, and see how much you've grown. So, um, so that's nugget. Uh, my second to last nugget, I guess, um, when it comes to learning a new skill and how to stick with it, um, doing things for posterity. And then the last thing is, is, and, and Chad, using your uh, Gurgadra model is a good example of this. When you've learned a new skill, teach it to someone else. Yeah. Uh, showing them what you did and how you did it, and then encouraging them to try it, it's just going to reinforce for you something that you've gained in the process. Um, and and um, and it's not for the it's more for you than it is for them, honestly, because yeah. when they're going to take they're going to take their model and do what they want with it. But like but the whole idea of you investing in someone else and then um, is actually a, an all is also an investment in yourself. So uh, which is why I miss those Wednesdays at Runa Board. Yeah, because there's some there was some great knowledge around those table those hobby tables. So, yeah. Yeah, and wisdom. So, hey, a lot of experience too of like a lot yeah. of those people. And um, I guess something we didn't really touch on is like not only videos uh, and yeah, asking the community, but um, maybe like asking the community in general and then maybe having some extended conversations with someone that has experience doing a technique <laughs> is always a great resource. Like, you know, if you can't find it in YouTube or if you want to talk to somebody that you know more, um, reach out to your community and, and try and find somebody that has experience and, and share, share in their knowledge. Yeah. Uh, 
and keep at it a little bit just because you don't pick it up the first time. Like two brush blending, I, I kind of tried it a couple times. I was like, I'll come back to it eventually, but it'll you know, <laughs> probably look good. But yeah, some of these skills is, you know, especially on these paintings, unless you're, you know, really good at some of the stuff. Like for me, it takes me a little while to kind of start getting it down and then then get that rhythm finally. And you, know, you might be 10, 20 models deep and then finally like it clicks and you're like, oh, okay, I can do this in my sleep now, right? Right. Yeah, good for you, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you paint seventy-seven models in a in a month. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hey, why don't we um, get to our hobby desks? That was a thought. That was a good conversation, and uh, I know it inspired me to get a little bit more organized, um, and then maybe focus down a little bit on a couple things that I I need to focus down on. So. But, uh, but what's on your hobby desk right now? What are you building? What are you painting? And, and maybe what new skill are you learning if you're learning one? <laughs> oh, I've, I've got a black hole of hobby. I've got a resin printer sitting on my hobby desk right now that I'm trying to work in and figure out. So something to print and paint more. But um, yeah. Talk about learning a new skill set. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, and I was kind of trying to record my journey on it, but my first print failed and uh, I just, I just haven't got back around to quite figuring out why I think I know why. Again, I had to search the uh, internet to try to figure out what happened. Um, Cause it was kind of a weird failure. And so I think I have it figured out. Now I need to go test it, see if I can fix it. And then uh, like I said, now it's going to be learning on how to, the best practice for cleaning it and for, for curing things and for um, printer settings and what, what works good with what resins apparently. And yeah, so. Oh yeah. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be a journey. Fun one. Resins and, resins and resin mixing to get certain, um, to get in certain qualities, I guess is what I'm yeah. looking for is a whole nother thing. Like there's a, um, there's a local guy that has an Etsy shop, Barthel's Marvels. Um, I was talking to him a little bit about it when he dropped off the Tiamat that um, I'm going to be painting that he had printed, and it's a very large model. Um, but it's you know the resin's sturdy in some places, but it's still pretty fragile uh, a yeah. little bit. And and he was talking about his ex his exploits with just mixing different concoctions and stuff and. And that's a whole nother process on top of just yep. learning how to use a resin printer. Yeah, um, I don't do that one as much until later. Much more comfortable. Then I might yeah. start my own, uh, my own mixes. But for now, it'll just be yeah, you can go. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Um, well, right now, I have been getting a little discouraged with the Riot Quest stuff just because I'm, I'm having trouble constantly coming up with new color schemes, basically, for each miniature because I don't have a unified... Um, I don't have a unified painting scheme, color scheme for like my minion stuff. Uh, and I've been getting kind of really irritated with a couple of the models recently. Like I was trying to paint the four horsey mans and I was running into issues trying to paint it where like, uh, one of the feet wasn't glued to the base very well. So I had to glue that down. And then I was mm. dry brushing the metallics onto one of the swords and the arm popped off and it was a pain in the butt to try and get glued back on. Cause like, it's a cool model, but holy crap, the thing was such a pain to assemble. 
and now like I'm I'm stuck at this point where like I'm not sure what colors I want to paint stuff. So I think I'm gonna take a little break from my Riot Quest stuff, um, and do and work on some other things. I've a bunch of you know paint in my backlog, painted uh, miniatures in my backlog. Um, but what I was doing yesterday was assembling um, the Raven Raven Guard Command Squad, which is a, a a box that creates three models. It's either three HQ models, uh, an ancient, an apothecary, or a captain on a bike, uh, or you can turn them into three Black Knight, Ravenwing Black Knight models. Um, and this is in junction with building an all-bike Ravenwing list that I've been working on collecting for a little bit. And um, one of our locals actually found some old, some attack bikes that they had that they didn't really have any use for. And the attack bikes is a, it's a biker. And then there's a sidecar that's uh, got like either a heavy bolter or a melted gun. And I was able to actually just pop the bike, the sidecar off and just have the biker. Um, and I'm swapping some bits on that so that um, I don't have to buy as many boxes of the Ravenwing command squad to get the, 10 black knights that i need um because they come in boxes of three so they had four bikes um i got the raven guard i got the command squad assembled and then i took one of the attack bikes that i actually assembled and then started doing some of the part swap on that and then the other attack bikes had a little bit of paint on them i'm working on stripping those right now uh and then i'm going to work on the parts swapping and everything um for those and it's coming along i mean they're not going to look at identical so of the two five-man units two in each of them are going to look a little different but um they're still gonna fit in pretty well and that's what i'm currently working on is a little bit more of a hobbying rather than a painting project and and eventually i'll get around to some of the other painting stuff i have going on nice, nice. that's one of the things i like about uh 40k and it's they encourage kit bashing you know yeah so well, what i'm doing is the black knights are supposed to have the plasma talons which are like plasma guns on the front of the bikes and the attack bikes have guns there but they're bolters so i took the bolters off and i am finding like extra plasma pistols and stuff that i have and basically cutting the marine hand off so that only the gun is left and then using that as the mount to the front of the bike and it's it's working worked out pretty good so far. So nice, and that'll nice. and that'll save me having to buy like two more boxes basically, and each one of those boxes is like fifty four bucks. So yeah. um, by just doing this kit bashing is saving me a bunch of money. <laughs> nice. nice, and it's creative, and it's yours. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've got uh, uh, I've had some fun stuff on my hobby desk this last couple weeks. Um, I had picked up some models for the combined army uh, for Infinity, and one of them is the Raichu, which is uh, their tag. So you know the big, big robot or whatever, and um, and it was partially painted. So it had so like the body was painted, and both arms were not attached, um, but were primed, and so. What I decided to do uh, for fun is try to color match, and and so I've been doing uh, lay, thin layers of different things to try to color match, and it's been fun. Uh, that's a whole other skill I think that that exists. Yeah. And um, 
and I, I picked up some paint uh, recently uh, that I think is gonna be is gonna do the trick. I'm gonna mix it with um, with I think some null oil, and I think that's gonna get me the match that I'm looking for. And so um, and so I'm pretty excited. Uh, I'm calling it a rescue. Uh, a rescue Raichu project, <laughs> and then, and then I have another rescue project on my desk. Uh, I picked up a, a storm wall for Signar for War Machine. Uh, it, uh, I got it in, in pieces, tons of pieces, Chad. Uh, and um, and so uh, now currently it is in three pieces, and and so before I. Um, re uh, fully assemble it back. I actually want to do some touch-up painting. So I'm going to use the skill of color matching that I have been practicing on the Raichu for yeah. the Stormwall. And and I, I actually redid the base of the, the basing of the Stormwall. And gosh, I did something that I've never done before. And from like the three feet test, it looks amazing. Like up close, you can see like what I did, and it doesn't look like, like, like it doesn't look like someone would intentionally do what I did. And then you put it on the table, and you stand back three feet, and you go, "Hey, that was good work." Nice. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited to field storm division uh, now that I I've got a storm wall to go with. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if it's a good list. I don't care. I just wanted to look good on the table. So, um, uh, and then another creative thing that I've got on my hobby desk that I'm done with now um, is I did a conversion for an undercover reporter for Malifaux. I'm not sure if I've talked about it um, here. Uh, so um, uh, between the additions, you know, they they repackaged uh, the crew boxes, and uh, and anyway the. Uh, the news reporters, I can't remember what their, what their keyword is for life of me for right now. Um, but they gained a model called an undercover reporter. And so if you have the M2 box, um, M2 E box, it doesn't have one, but if you buy the M3 E box, it does. Well, I have the, you know, second edition Malifaux models. I'm not so keen on buying the new crew box when I have the other ones. Yep. So um, I did a little kit bash, and it it looks pretty good. And there's there's four pieces of plastic, five pieces of plastic on a base, and four of them are weird Malifaux plastic. And then the fifth one is a three D printed thing. And so um, and so I think it follows the conversion rules. It'll be very obvious to anyone once I get paint on it that it's an undercover reporter. So, um, pretty go. proud of it. So now I just got to prime and paint it. So, um, but that's for my that's for my guild army. So, yeah, three projects, three games, three different games. Because that's <laughs> how I roll, I guess. <laughs> Why not? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to catch up on getting stuff done because uh, stores getting two new display cases here in the next week or so. Nice. So I got to get some models done to fill them up so that we can have some stuff on display. But it'll also give me an opportunity to spread out the Death Guard stuff into a, a better and more visible display case. Yeah. I think so. I think that'd be a good idea because you use some good work on that on that army and and it's sometimes yeah. you see models too close together, they just kind of visually they clump yeah. together. So. Yeah. 
And they're all crammed. Like, the case that they're in, they're all kind of crammed in there. um, Just so that they would all fit. And so it'll be nice to be able to, like, spread some of that out a little bit. Do a a couple of shelves that are a little scenic um, with some of the stuff that's there. So I like that. That'll be fun to do. Yeah. Plus show off all my stuff that I spent hours and hours on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a good conversation. I'm glad that we were able to connect and get caught up. The last couple episodes, we had some guests on. And so um, if you're new to uh, Spell Store Managers, go ahead and check out our backlog. There's some fun fun conversations for you to listen to. I want to draw everyone's attention to what's going on in the community. Um, every Thursday on our Discord server, we host a paint party. And it's awesome. And you don't have to paint. You can build if you want. But Paint Party is an alliteration, and so that's what we stuck with to name it. Um, but I, I want to encourage you to uh, to grab whatever it is you're working on, log in, and then and we'll chat about whatever hot topic is we're chatting about. But it's a great place to get good work done, and so I want to encourage you to do that. The second thing that's very very important is uh, starting in the month of April, we are starting a book club. And so, uh, we'll, and once again, that'll be on the, our Discord server. And uh, we'll randomly, uh, we kind of have a system, I think, of sort of, sort of randomization, selecting something for all of us to read. And then at the end of the month, we'll get together on Discord and we'll talk about um, what it is that we read. And we're starting with the free rule set put out by Parabellum for the, for the game Conquest, The Last Argument of Kings. Uh, there's a fair number of us who are interested in that game and we're gonna be checking it out. And some of us already have models that we're already painting and that sort of thing. And so um, so we're gonna read the rules and then talk about them. So I'm pretty excited about the book club. I think we're gonna alternate between rule set and something fiction, rule set, something fiction. Um, one, uh, that's what I think we're gonna be doing going forward. So I'm pretty excited about that. So. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening to our show. We love to hear from you. And so you can do that by emailing us at spellstoreminiatures at gmail.com. You can send us a message on Facebook. You can join our Discord server. There's a lot of action that takes place there. Um, If you want to support us, you can do so by telling your friends. You can um, support us on Patreon. You can support us on Kofi. We even have really cool links for affiliate links. If you shop on Amazon or Joann's or Blix, you can order things online. And uh, that's a great way of supporting us. Oh, and we have t-shirts. So I want to encourage you to buy the Spellstorm Miniature t-shirt. There it is. Because when we start playing in person, you're going you're gonna to want to wear that. That's, that's going to be what all the cool kids are wearing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I still need one of those. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Anyway, you'll find all the links for all those things on uh, on our on our website and then and our Discord, and then check us out on YouTube too. Dan's doing a lot of video work and unboxing and and different things like that, and so that's a um, that's a great way to to just be encouraged in the hobby. Thanks, everyone.
Thank you.